All right. Well, let's just go to the text. All right. Uh, John chapter number 8, verses 1 through 11. I'll give you the moment to find that while I tried to find my sermon. <laughs> All right. And that's, that's the problem with electronics. Sometimes you need a backup plan. Um, I will say I want to certainly give honor again to uh, the elders of this church, to my son-in-law, Brother Jeremy, for that warm and gracious welcome, and for um, my daughter, Sharon, and for the wonderful way that you all have embraced them down through the years. And I kind of feel like I owe Pastor Steve a little bit of an apology, but not so really because I was asked to come before, but I believe that this was the right time and the right season. And... Uh, you know, I tell people all the time that I'm not looking for opportunities, but I believe in moving by assignment from God because everything may be good, but it may not be good for you. Uh, and so I ask God, what is your assignment for today? And of course, the enemy is working. That's why I can't find my sermon. But that's all right. How many know it's got to be in your heart? All right. John chapter 8, verse number 1. You'll find these words. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him and sat down. He sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what saith thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it began, being convicted in their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. And Jesus, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. All right. Just for a few moments today, I want to ask you a rhetorical question. What's in your heart? Now, some of you remember the City One commercial. They talk about what's in your wallet. But I want to talk about what's in your heart on today. And, uh, you know, the Bible says that, that we need to guard our heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And so when I ask you this question, I'm saying this because it's very difficult to really know what's in your heart unless you become tested, unless you're in a situation and circumstance that brings whatever's in you out of you. And Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and who can really know it? Unless we get into a situation or circumstance, we really don't know what's in their heart. And a lot of times when I deal with people and certain things come out of their mouth, they say, well, I'm sorry for saying that, Pastor. I'm sorry that slipped. 
I, I oftentimes think in my heart, I say, well, if it wasn't really in there, then it couldn't have slipped out. So what's in your heart on today? All right. I, today, I believe that there are some themes in this particular text that we don't always see. So my challenge today as I share this word is to dip into an old well and try to bring out some fresh water. Your challenge is not to run ahead of me, but to walk with me as we look at this text because we are predisposed to certain themes when we read this. And those of you that have been in the church for some time have heard this time and time again. All right? So let's look at this. We, when we look at this particular text, it really is not about the woman at all because uh, it's really about the entrapment of Jesus, uh, and really the indictment that was upon him, because if you look back in the chapter that precedes this, chapter number seven, that the scribes and Pharisees were always trying to entrap Jesus because he was messing up their plan. Can I just use my own vernacular today? Uh, they were always trying to find a reason to indict him because Jesus was messing up their, uh, their, their business plan. They wanted people to come to the sanctuary. They wanted them uh, to buy all the sacrificial things. They wanted to be in charge of them. They wanted to govern and lord over the people. But Jesus was unconventional. And so he taught on the hillside. He taught in boats. And he did things unconventionally. And he was really turning out the churches. So there was more people on the hillsides on a Sabbath day than were in the sanctuary. And so they sent people to go and apprehend Jesus because at this time, they were really looking to kill Jesus. And the disciples knew it, and, and this was at the time of the Feast of the Passover, and they sent people or some officers to go and apprehend Jesus. And the Bible said when they got there, Jesus was teaching the people, and they were afraid to lay hands upon him for fear of the people. And when they listened to his words, they said, we... <laughs> We've never heard anybody like this. And they go back to the scribes and the Pharisees and, and they say, well, where is he? What, didn't we send you to do a job? We can't send boys to do men's job. They said, well, we've never heard a man speak like this man before. And so they say, okay, that's all right. We've got this. So they devise a plan and they said, we've got the very thing that's going to entrap Jesus. And so we see the next day, Jesus comes back, and early in the morning, the Bible says that he is teaching in the temple, and people came and sat down and listened to him. So in the midst of Jesus' teaching, here come the scribes and the Pharisees because they have the perfect plot, the perfect plan to entrap Jesus, and the Bible says they come to him with a woman. And notice that they did not even give the woman's name because the woman wasn't the issue. It was all about the plot and the trap that they had set for Jesus because Jesus said that his mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come to the wealthy. He came to those that were down and out. Though He said the, the whole need not a physician. So he came to those that were weak, halt, and lame. He didn't go around with the aristocrats and the uppity of society, but he came to those that would be willing to hear the message. And so they bring this woman in the middle of Jesus' teaching, like if someone were just to come in the midst of our high noon service or in the midst of our service on Sunday and disrupt everything that is going on. And so here they come with this rude interruption and bring this woman that's caught in the act of adultery. 
Now, the first problem is, is that they only brought the woman because the Bible said she was caught in the act of adultery, and somebody told me it takes two to tango. So, for some reason, they didn't bring the man, but they brought this woman and put her in the midst, and then they posed the question. Now, you are the one who said that you came to seek and to save. You came to save life, but the Mosaic law says that this woman and the man as well, if they are caught in the act of adultery, should be stoned to death. But now, what do you say, Jesus? Because Jesus represented grace and truth. But now they're bringing the Mosaic law against Jesus, and so he does not argue the law. And those of you that are scholarly, you know that even today in a, uh, a capital offense, you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that that person is guilty. In a civil case, it's based on the preponderance of the evidence. But they bring this woman, they said, there's no way for Jesus to ease out of this one because we caught her in the very act. So it's not hearsay, it's not circumstantial evidence. We know this, we've seen her, there is no out. And notice through all of this, the woman has no plea. She never says a word. She doesn't even say no contest. She doesn't say a word. And so Jesus hears them. And so uh, he says, they say to him, this, she's taken in the very act of adultery. What should we do? Because the law says that she should be stoned. And Jesus already knew what their mindset was. He already knew what their intent was. And the Bible says he just stooped down on the ground and began to write. Now, this is significant because this is the first time and the only time in Scripture that we've ever heard that Jesus wrote anything. The disciples then chronicled what he had done. They told of his deeds. They told of his miracles. But Jesus never wrote anything. This is the one and only time that he's written anything. And the Bible says that he began to write on the ground. And they kept on talking. They kept on egging him on. And so he continued. And the Bible said after they continued, he lifted up himself. In other words, he stood up and looked at all of them. He said, so since you want to quote the Mosaic law, let me go back to Leviticus. And yes, it is true that she should be stoned, but he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. So is there anybody in this crowd that does not have sin? Is there anybody in here that there is not a spiritual indictment against because you've got something in your life, in your skeleton closet, <laughs> Uh, that you could say, well, that's me. So Jesus began to write, and you know, here's the thing. We don't know what he wrote. I can sit here and give you supposition, but I believe that he knew everybody without looking at them where they were. He knew every situation and circumstance, every problem, every hang up, every issue, because see, we don't have sin anymore. I've learned in today's society, we have euphemized sin out of our lives and out of the church. We got problems, hang-ups, issues, but it's not our fault. But the fact of the matter is God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. So what is sin, Brother Rogers? Because the Bible said sin is a transgression of the law of God. And here's the thing, that God hates sin so much because sin is like a cancer. It cannot be hidden. It cannot be covered up. Didn't Adam and Eve try to cover it up with fig leaves? It can only be cleansed. It can only be 
remediated through blood. And it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that sin can be forgiven. So here's what sin does. Sin will always take you further than you intended to go. It will keep you longer than you intended to stay. And it will always cost you more than you ever intended to pay. That's what sin does. And so he begins to write. And so those who were there, no doubt, were looking over his shoulder looking at the things that were going on. And here's the thing. When you look at the crowd, the scribes and Pharisees, I don't know who all was there when she was caught, but then they gathered the crowd because you know what I see? That sometimes people don't even know the law. They don't know what happened, but they're eager to help issue out judgment. So everybody grabbed the stone because we're getting ready to, we're getting ready to take this woman out. And I got a good aim. I'm going to get one right in the forehead. They were just up to kill this woman. But Jesus now is caught in the middle because he came to save lives. And you want me to condemn to death. And I heard someone say through our praise and worship that he's the God of a second chance. Well, if truth be known, most of us have had many a second chance. I used to say that in my early ministry. I've been preaching for about 35 years now. But now I say that God is the God of another chance, not just a second chance, because if it was just a second chance, all of us would be gone. The Bible said it's because of his mercies that we are not consumed. It's not because you were so good, Miss Pollyanna. You were the Cleaver family. Every family has got some level of dysfunction. I don't care who you are. Some to a greater degree than others, but all of us have some level of dysfunction in our families, in our lives. So stop crying and complaining because things were not perfect. You didn't have, you know, polka dots and pink shoelaces growing up. He continues to write, and one by one, people started leaving. Now, I saw something in this text just a couple of months ago that I've never seen before. It says that when Jesus got done writing, that everybody... Not just the people that came in the crowd with the scribes and Pharisees, not just the mob, because you know what? We can have mob mentality or groupthink. And you know what? People can do heinous things when they get caught up in groupthink and mob mentality because some of them are just going with the crowd. They don't know why, but hey, we're going. Going out because we stand for righteousness. Automatically, you stand out. You're a peculiar people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood under God. And with the darkness of this world, now with, listen, all of the things that we have. I had so many wonderful notes to share today about the racial tension, about the political divide, about the civil unrest that is going on in this country. My question to you, my friend, is what's in your heart? Because sometimes we fool ourselves because of the subtleties and, and, and subliminal things that we have in our hearts that sometimes we don't even recognize, the biases that we have. How many came today because Sharon's dad's going to be here? How many didn't come because Sharon's dad's going to be here? I guess I should ask. <laughs> because we have so many different biases in our hearts. And even though that we're well-meaning sometimes, there's some things that's so ingrained in our society and so subtle and subliminal that we don't even realize it. What is in your heart? Well, I don't really know, God, so I need you to search my heart. Turn your light on me so that I can see. So the real question is, what kind of sins are we willing to live with? And then when our sins are made known to us, what do we do about it? Because the greatest challenge that we have, my friend, is not that we are in a place of 
unalignment or out of alignment with the will of God, but it's what we do when we realize that we're out of alignment. Do we stay the same? The biggest challenge is, is are we going to change or are we going to remain the same? Everybody tiptoed out of the midst, not just the people that came, but also the people that were there early in the morning. Isn't that amazing? I got an early morning crowd here today. No indictment on you because the early bird gets the worm. It's early will I seek thee. Uh, But everybody, not just the people who came with the mob, but everybody. So it suggests to me that even though we came here and very pious, very sanctimonious today, and and well-meaning to seek God, maybe there's some things within us even that Jesus would have found out if we knew what he wrote. Some of us would drop the stones that we carry. And listen, if you live in a glass house, then you shouldn't throw rocks. How many times have you heard that? This woman's standing there, and here's the wonderful thing, and I tell people this is the shout. These people were convicted by their own conscience. Jesus never said a word, but he wrote. And how many know that his word will speak to us? One by one, they go out even unto the last, from the eldest even to the last, I think from the oldest to the youngest. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. And the Bible says in that 10th verse, when Jesus lifted up himself, again, it emphasizes that nobody was left in the house and saw no one, no one, saw none but the woman. He says to her, And here's what I love about him, regardless of how dirty that you might be, regardless of what you may have done in your life, Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. He says to this woman, where are thine accusers? You know what? We always talk about it. He said, how dare we look at the moat in our brother's eye, and we got a beam in ours. One of my older pastors said, you, you're talking about a piece of lint in someone else's eye and you got a two by four in your own eye. He goes, where are thine accusers? She says, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Listen, he does not condemn us. God does not condemn us. The Holy Spirit convicts us so that we can get ourselves right because God has no pleasure in the death of the unrighteous. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He gave his life so that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. John 3, 16, right? So here's my concern and here's my contention. Not about the woman per se, because it really was about the entrapment of Jesus, but I'm concerned about all the people who left. Because this woman stood there, but she was exonerated. Jesus forgave her of her sins. She left there cleansed. She left there a new person. But my concern was with all the people who came who left after seeing their sin, Because James said, if we hear the word, it's like looking into a mirror. It's like beholding ourselves because God's word will make you uncomfortable. It'll make you squirm even in the seat. I don't care what you got on the outside. You can have a nice suit dress, have your hair done just real nice. 
but it goes beneath the veneer of our exterior and sees the manner of person we are. And sometimes we think the preacher heard us on the phone last night. We think he heard our conversation in the bedroom. We think he saw us when we were going to this place or that place. But God's word is like the mirror that reflects us our own self and goes beneath that suit and that tie and that shirt and that wonderful hairdo and sees the person that we are on the inside. That's why Michael Jackson said, I'm talking to the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. Well, we know he had some issues, so he should have talked to himself that way. <laughs> but we're asking God to turn your searchlight on us. And God, everything that's not like you, help me to be what you want me to be. Help me not to leave this church today and say, okay, I heard what you said, but I'm going to forget about it and go back to my old ways. I'm going to go back to thinking the way that I have in the past. I'm going to go back to, to grabbing rocks. Matter of fact, I'm going to get that rock out of the back of the, of the truck that you have for somebody else. Maybe somebody came here today feeling like you're justified because you don't have it like they do. That's what the Pharisee said when he went up to pray and the publican was there. He said, I'm glad I don't, I don't have sins like this guy. <laughs> I'm not messed up like he does. And the publican just looked over and said, Lord, just have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Bible said that he went down more justified than that Pharisee. And I'm sure he had a long flowing robe and looked sanctimonious. But Jesus said, you're just like a whited sepulcher. You're just like a grave that's full of dead men's bones because you're dead inside. His word gives us life. And when he shines his light upon us, it's not to beat us down and chastise us. It's so that we can say, yes, Lord, I thank you for helping me right there. Thank you for making me a better person. What's in your heart? What's in your heart? David, I'm going to close with this. I don't know how much time I have left. Eight minutes probably. David said, oh, thank you for that. I was like, man, Russian. David, we know the story of David. David was the poster child for <laughs> issues and problems. But God himself testified that David was a man after his, his own heart. I want to bless somebody here today because this blesses me because it lets me know that even though that I've needed many a second chance, that God is graceful and merciful to us if we'll just say, I'm sorry, I repent, I want to get right. And we know that David, when he should have been out on the battlefield, was laying up sleeping in the middle of the day. That's why you need to get a J-O-B and get busy. And saw this beautiful woman from his terrace out taking a bath, and her name was Bathsheba. And as my friends say, she was a bad mamma jamma. <laughs> she was beautiful to look at, and David loved some women because we find out that David had a sexual addiction. What do you say about that, Pastor Roger? What do you mean? He's a man after God's own heart. He was anointed of God. He was, a, you know, his throne's going to be forever. Well, here's the thing. That when David finally got sick unto death, they took a young woman and put her in the bed with David. And because David wouldn't touch her, they said, oh, he's sick. He is gone. He's out of here. That's how bad it was. That's how bad it was. But David had Uriah killed, who was 
loyal to him. And then he covered it up for a whole year. David was messed up and the presence of God had left David. David knew, you know when the anointing is gone. You know when the presence of God has departed from you because Saul knew it. And so here's David now in the same predicament. Because God is so holy, even though he loves you, he has to reject the sin. He couldn't even look upon the sin of his own son, had to turn his back on him. So what about you and I? What kind of sin are we willing to live with? And so here comes Nathan, the prophet Nathan, who's going to come and speak truth to power and tells David because he knows that David was a shepherd boy who put his life on the line more than once to save his father's sheep. He killed a lion and a bear with his own hands. How many would like to try that today? And so Nathan comes to him and tells him this story, and you all know the story. So let me just cut across the field here and tells him the story about the man who had great flocks of sheep and one who had one. And the one who had the one, the sheep was like a little pet to him, and they had a little cup and saucer at the table, and the lamb would eat out of it, played with the kids. They had a name for him. I told my wife the other day she was naming some deer that were going through our yard. I said, please don't name them because harvest time is coming. And I don't want you to think that's Bambi on the table. But he goes and kills him. And David, because he's a shepherd, he has a passion. He said, that man shall surely die. As a matter of fact, I know we've got an executioner, but I would do that one myself. And then Nathan says with his bold, courageous self, he said, David, thou art the man. But here's the difference between David and Saul. That Saul blamed it on the people. He always deflected to someone else. It's their fault. Just like Adam did, it's that woman you gave me. But David said, no, I've done it. I acknowledge my transgressions and my sins are ever before me. You can read Psalm 51 on your own time. He said, I was born in sin and shaping in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, I came here messed up, God. I acknowledge it. And I've sinned against you and you only have I sinned. Yes, I did Uriah wrong but I can only sin against you because sin is a transgression of the law of God. Now, here's the thing. God will forgive the sin, but sometimes we have to pay the price for our sins. So if you've drunk, you know, alcohol all your life and now your liver's all messed up, God will forgive you and, and bring you into the kingdom, but you got to pay the sin for abusing your body. Are you with me? David falls on the mercy of God. And God established his throne forever, even though David had some issues from there. The Bible said because of his sin that the sword never departed from his house. David had a dysfunctional family. Even his daughter was raped by her brother. Absalom tried to usurp him and supplant him as the leader. David had a lot of issues, but God yet said, he's a man after my own heart. I'm going to ask you again today. As I come to a close, what is in your heart? Again, it wasn't the woman. That was the story. The, the story was really the people who were there receiving the word. And all of them, even the ones who were sitting there in the morning, had issues. And Jesus found every one of them which suggests to me that all of us still have our flaws and imperfections. 
And so it's no need of us pointing our finger at anyone else because whenever we do, there's always several fingers pointing back at us. And it's because of his grace and his mercies that we are not consumed, that we're able to get up here today because his blood covers us. He doesn't see us, but he sees the blood of his son that covers our faults and our sins. I'm so glad today that he looked beyond all of my faults and saw my needs. I'm glad he looked beyond all of my problems and saw my potential. Even as I grew up in the church and sat there, my parents brought me to church even before I was born. I tell people all the time, I came out knowing how to clap my hands in rhythm. <laughs> because I heard the songs, I heard the praises. And so I was brought there, but it wasn't until the fact that I came myself and received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that he changed my whole life. I was either on my way to prison or to the grave. That's why I was so passionate. 15 years of preaching in prisons to men and women in Ohio. Going to nursery home, nursing homes and hospitals. 35 years in ministry, 22 years pastoring and preaching the word of God. My coming here today was not because I lacked an opportunity to preach. It's because God said, this is assignment for this time and season. And I've said yes to God. And whatever you have me to do, one of the brothers asked me today, he said, when I look at your resume, I wonder how you could do all those things. How you could pastor and have a family and a secular job and all the things that you did. I said, it was by the grace of God that he's brought me to this point because my life is committed to him. And so to the point when God shows me myself that I say, yes, Lord. Not making excuses, not trying to justify what I've done or what I've said, but saying, yes, God, I humbly submit to your will. And I ask you to help me to change, to be the person that you've called me to be because I know you have a plan and purpose for my life. I know I have a destiny and where I'm at now is not my final conclusion. And I want to say to you because you've had failures in your life that that does not mean it's final. What you're going through right now is just the agenda that God has for your life. But he has a divine destiny and calling and purpose for your life. This woman, we don't know what happened to her afterwards. But I know Jesus said, go and sin no more. Amen. All he wants you to do is turn right and go straight.